Chapter 19 of Under the Tiger's Claws. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Under the Tiger's Claws by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 19 The Right Man. It was precisely nine o'clock when Nick Carter, Chick, and Belle Braddon arrived at Goddard Shore House, to which they were admitted by the humpback and conducted into the dining room. Nate Goddard appeared pale and somewhat intoxicated when he received them, but his nerve quickly returned after the introductions and the hearty responses of his visitors, and he promptly invited them to the sideboard to have a drink. "'Here's your very good health, Mr. Hedge,' said he, addressing Nick by the name he had assumed. "'Yours too, sir,' cried Nick. "'So you are fond of bucking the tiger, are you, and have come out here to give my game a little play?' "'Fond of it's no name for it, neighbor.' declared Nick, as he drained his glass. "'I'm a bit off-color just now, though, for I haven't sat down for a stack of checks for nigh a year. All the more say duff for you to win, eh?' he added, with a boisterous display of good humor. "'There's one way of looking at it, Mr. Goddard.' Goddard joined in Nick's loud laugh, and Belle Braddon, who was now making up to Nick with an eye to the future, playfully twined his arm with her hand and cried gleefully, Oh, you're really too funny, Mr. Hedge. That's so, lass. You make me laugh nearly every time you speak. Well, as long as I don't make you cry, my dear girl. There's no sleep to be lost, eh? No, not a wink, sir, Bell rejoined with a seductive glance and smile. A very little of such banter as this went a long way with Nick when more serious business was pressing, and he presently asked roundly, Where's your game, Mr. Goddard? Let's have a look at it. We can talk and play at the same time, you know, put in Chick agreeably. You don't do any playing, my boy, roared Nick good-naturedly. It's bad enough for one of the Hedge family to be up again the tiger. You don't set down a chip, mind that, my boy. Well, I can look on, can't I, grumbled Chick. There's no harm in that. Sure, you can look on, lad. There's no chance to lose in looking on. Come upstairs, Mr. Hedge, said Goddard. I'm coming too, declared Bell, as he led the way. I want to see how you Westerners go at the game, Mr. Hedge. We go at it, gal, like a bullet a gate, Nick loudly laughed, slipping his arm around her as they mounted the stairs. Green already had the room brightly lighted, yet he gave no sign of ever having seen the visitors. The fairer room was barring the elaborate furnishings at floods, not unlike that previously described, and a sonorous laugh broke from Nick Carter when he beheld the layout on the table and saw the preparations which had been made for the game. "'Wow, she does have a dern natural look, Goddard,' he cried in stentorian tones. "'How much can I sit to win?' "'Your expenses, at least,' Goddard significantly replied, joining in the other's laugh. Nick's expressive eyes evinced just the least bit of disappointment when he perceived the pack of cards laid carelessly on a chair at one side of the table. But when Nathan Goddard took his seat back of the layout, and then produced a pack from behind the check rack, a momentary blaze fired their somber depths, only to wane again to a steady glow like that of burning coals through the darkness. Nick recognized the deck of cards at a glance. It was the same deck of strippers with which Moses Flood had dealt himself a loser and afterwards strapped in the satchel with the money he had paid to Cecil Kendall, less than one hour before the latter was murdered in the rectory grounds. They were very positive evidence of Nathan Goddard's guilt, yet Nick knew that there were other cards like them, 
and foresaw that even further proof was desirable. A profound reader of human nature, as well as a man of tremendous mental force, Nick was planning to drive the wretch opposite to a frenzy of excitement when, at the proper time, he could evoke from him an involuntary yet absolute self-betrayal. "'My expenses, eh?' he boisterously replied, turning to wink at Bill, then at the humpback queue-keeper, who had taken a seat at the end of the table. "'Sure thing, sir, if you get him downright,' laughed Goddard a bit nervously. "'Well, my expenses will be southing, roared Nick, if we blow in the stuff as we did at the Waldorf. "'Gee whiz, but it costs something to eat and liquor up in that air tavern, eh, Archie?' "'Right you are, old man,' nodded Chick, who was seated nearby. "'Are you in with my play, lass, or with Goddard's?' cried Nick, turning to Bella with a great display of joviality. "'I'm always in with the winner,' replied the girl with a ringing laugh. "'Oh, that's it, eh? Cunning as a kitten, aren't you?' "'I'm always looking out for my own interest,' grinned Bell, patting Nick's cheek from behind his chair. "'Good for you, gal,' cried Nick approvingly. "'Well, Mr. Goddard, cross the crick thar. Give me a stack of chips.' I'll show you how we play the bank on the other side of the Mississippi. I dropped 7,000 in hides in Chicago on my way here, to which I'm out to get back. Ha-ha, in the winter, lass, are you? While boisterously voicing the above, Nick drew from the side pocket of his coat a huge roll of banknotes, from which he quickly stripped off two of $500 each and carelessly tossed them across the layout. Give me a stack of chips, he cried noisily. One stack, queried Goddard, startled by the prospect of so big a game. One stack, sartin, cried Nick. Fifty dollars a chip, that's good enough for me. Same as plug ante, what we used to play in 49 under the wagon trains. What's the limit, by the way? Goddard began to tremble under the show of utter recklessness. You may stack them up until I call you down, said he, speaking calmly with an effort. Yet he did not feel easy. It is no small undertaking to deal brace Pharaoh, even under ordinary conditions, and to Goddard these appeared without precedent. His evil heart was beating like a trip hammer, his blood was rushing like fire through his veins, yet the sight of the pretended cattle dealer's money served to nerve him for a time, and with jaws fixed he began to shuffle the deck of strippers. "'Till you call me down, eh?' roared Nick as if in great enjoyment. "'That ought to be good enough, and it's what I like to hear.' No piking around for me a chip or rip. You say it's good luck to stake a cuss afore beginning, so take that, my bucko, and put it in your kit. Thank you, sir, cried the humpback, as Nick tossed him a chip valued at fifty dollars. Nick nodded and laughed. You're sort of a cross between a man and a monkey, ain't you, he jokingly demanded. Well, sir, I'll not take any blue ribbons for my beauty, rejoined Green, laughing. Ha, 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 roared Nick. That's the stuff, my lad. Already, eh? What's to the top of the box? An eight? Despite his show of carelessness, Nick had seen the card shuffled, stripped, and butted. He knew to a certainty how to place his money. He divided a stack of chips and copper two winners for the entire lot. Goddard felt a thrill of exultation. Nick had set his money down to lose. The miscreant opposite was not forced to take a false card in order to win, and he felt relieved. The first turn from the box brought a decision. The pretended dealer in cattle had lost. Oh ho, he cried, with a quick flash of his eyes. Can you do that again? Let's see you do that again. Goddard's only reply was to set out another turn from the deal box. But Nick's question was answered. 
he had lost again, just as he had planned. Now he did not laugh. He jerked his chair quickly nearer the table and ferociously yanked out his roll of money. Give me two stacks this time, he cried aggressively. Two goes, mister, nodded Goddard. He raked in the banknotes cast upon the layout and set forth their equivalent in chips. Yet he did not speak again. To add to his husky remark, he dared not trust his voice. It was nothing short of robbery, this that he was doing, and he felt that he could see his finish if he got caught cheating. Nick looked and acted like a man who would fairly eat another under such a provocation. Then Nick went down upon the layout with every chip that he had bought. This time he bet to win, thus forcing Goddard to take a false card. Nick's object was to drive the man to a frenzy of excitement, when discretion would be overwhelmed and then bring a climax that would evoke self-betrayal. Goddard took the false card, made a secret sign, and a quick responsive rap sounded from his cue-keeper. Yet he was ghastly to the lips when he glanced at Nick to see if the deception had been detected. Nick saw it all right, but his countenance did not change. He saw, too, that Goddard was beginning to work under the highest kind of pressure. The latter raked in a thousand dollars on the turn, and the magnitude of the possibility before him alone enabled him to maintain his nerve. "'Can't I win a bet?' Nick hoarsely cried after buying for the third time and losing. "'Curse the infernal luck! Can't I win a bet?' "'You are really getting them down a bit unlucky, Uncle,' observed Chick, with pretended sympathy. "'So he is, dear man,' said Bell in persuasive tones. They now appeared to be wasted upon the irate cattle dealer, however. "'Give me some more chips, Goddard,' he fiercely growled, slinging a fifth thousand dollars over the layout. "'Give me some more chips, I say. What sort of a dealer have I been steering up again, eh?' "'The deal is all right, sir,' stammered Goddard. "'Who said twasn't? I said dealer,' snarled Nick ferociously. Goddard's hand shook visibly as he shoved the desired stacks of chips toward Nick. The strain upon him was something frightful and his brain felt as if seared with a terrible heat. The gravity of the situation seemed to steadily increase, and fear of what might occur was taking ugly hold upon him. He ground his teeth together and nerved himself to finish the deal. From the top of the box to the bottom, Nick did not win a bet. He started the second deal $10,000 loser, and Goddard was trembling in his chair. The second deal was about like the first. Nick played to lose. He coppered the winning cards and played the losers to win. Time and time again he forced himself to call for more chips and each time noticed that Goddard was becoming more and more beside himself. The perspiration stood in great drops on the latter's face and the arteries of his neck and brow were pulsing violently. Nick saw that he had him nearly where he wanted him. Even Bill Braddon was gazing with affrighted eyes upon the dreadful scene, hushed and pale now, with her hands pressed above her heart. Chick saw by the look in Nick's eyes that the climax was approaching, and he quietly made ready for it. Half a minute later, Nick drove the knife deeper into his victim. The deal had come down to two turns only, and Nick knew the cues were wrong and that Goddard must take a card to right them. Nick forced Goddard to win by stealing, and the latter's hand shook as if with palsy as he did it. A rap from the cute-keeper followed, and then the announcement, Last turn! Nick resolved it should be the very last. He placed his bet and purposely lost. Then he uttered a terrible cry, as if thrilled with sudden suspicion. Be the cues right? Be the cues right, he roared, glaring fiercely at the startled humpback. Aye, sir, 
Then let me see them cards, yelled Nick, with his swarthy face awfully distorted and his eyes blazing like fire. Let me see the cards, I say. You, Goddard, there's something wrong with them cards. The humpback leapt to his feet with a hoarse remonstrance, and while Nathan Goddard, ghastly as a corpse, covered the cards with his left hand, his right went to his hip pocket. It was the very move Nick wanted to see him make. Let me see him, he roared furiously, half rising from his chair. I tell you there's something wrong with them carts. I think not. Let me see him. Let me see him or I'll... Let him see them, Nate, shrieked Bill Braddon, wild lest Goddard's frightful agitation should betray him. Nick reached across the layout with a terrible imprecation and snatched the pack of cards from under Goddard's quivering hand. There's blood on them, he roared fiercely, with his eyes fixed on those of the shaking man opposite. There's blood on them. The blood of a man killed for money, killed for gain, and by you who now... Nick got no further. The thrilling accusation was more than Nate Goddard in his unnerved condition could sustain. He saw the scheme by which he was being duped, and he saw again the staring corpse that he had left behind him in the rectory grounds and Fordham. With a single wild cry, most like a shriek, he leapt to his feet. "'Curse you!' he yelled. "'I know you now. You're Moses Flood!' You lie, thundered Nick, tearing off his disguise. I am Nick Carter, the detective. Bill Braddon uttered a scream that pierced the very walls of the house and from somewhere under her skirt snatched out a revolver. Chick Carter, with eyes alert to see where he was most needed, was upon her as a leopard leaps upon a hare. Not on your life, miss, he cried, wrenching away the weapon and forcing her into a chair. Nate Goddard, too, had drawn his revolver, but he never again discharged it. Nick swept across the table like a whirlwind, and in an instant had the desperate man by the throat. Then he drew back, startled. Goddard's grip in his revolver had relaxed, and the weapon fell clattering to the floor. He threw both hands above his head like one stricken a fatal blow, then brought both palms violently to his skull, as if within were the seat of a dreadful pain. His distorted face suddenly grew ghastly, the lips drawn and eyes rolling, and but for Nick Carter's supporting arm, he would have fallen headlong to the floor. He's done for, cried Nick to Chick, over his shoulder. Nick was right. One glance at the man's death-swept face was enough. In the awful stress of his horror, terror, and excitement, Nathan Goddard had ruptured an artery of his brain. The rest involving the subsequent fortunes of those who have figured in these pages may be briefly and simply told. Goddard died within an hour, without regaining consciousness and thus cheated human justice, only to meet at a divine tribunal the punishment he deserved. From Bell Braddon, however, whom fear of punishment now drove to a confession, the facts were obtained that fully established Goddard's guilt. He had left the Faroe Bank just after seeing Kendall win the $90,000, and when the latter emerged, Goddard shadowed him to Fordham. As Nick Carter had shrewdly reasoned, Kendall went to peer through the library window before entering the rectory. Goddard, meantime, had seen Flood arrive and hitch his team at the rear gate, putting his heavy cane in the body of the buggy. Flood, however, wishing to see Dora Royal alone, had not gone directly to the side of the house in which the crime was committed, but had passed slowly around it, in the hope of attracting her attention from one of the windows. Goddard, meantime, secured Flood's cane, waylaid and killed Kendall, then made off with the satchel of money, afterward concealing the cane in the brushwood, that the crime might be charged to flood. 
The latter, upon coming around the house, had seen only Harry Royal, with the results already set forth. Belle Braddon did not, for her confession, however, escape punishment for her evil doings. Nick promptly placed her under arrest as an accessory after the crime, as well as for the attempt upon his life, and she ultimately received her just desserts. When the heroic part that Moses Flood had played in behalf of the royals was fully made known to the rector, he did precisely what Nick Carter anticipated. Upon Flood's renunciation of his business, which had been entirely voluntary, Dr. Earl forgave the past and accepted him as his daughter's suitor. Flood went abroad for six months, returning as the American representative of one of the largest silk concerns in France, and he and Dora Royal were married that year, establishing themselves in a fine West End Avenue residence. The two houses, which were sad reminders of his past, Flood sold to the best advantage and gave the entire proceeds to charity. The love and gratitude of the happy couple for Nick Carter may be easily imagined, and both were numbered among Nick's dearest friends. The great detective frequently said a flood in after years when recalling the incidents here depicted, he certainly was the prince of gamesters. And certainly it seems to be a good safe wager that Nick Carter, as usual, was entirely right. End of Under the Tiger's Claws <laughs>